Please stand for the reading of scripture. Mark 1, 21 to 34. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Be seated. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. I remember a day when I was driving one of my friends home from school. I was 17. It occurred to me this morning that this day was about 20 years ago. This friend of mine was telling me about Jesus, about what it meant to her to have a relationship with him. She was sharing her faith. Now this was the first and the only time one of my friends in high school shared their faith with me. And I remember thinking that it was kind of silly. I nodded along, not wanting to be too rude. I dropped her off at work and I headed to my own job afterwards. And I remember the moment vividly as I was driving. On the radio, I don't remember if it was the radio or if I had a CD in, but there was a song by someone named Tom Petty playing. Some of you may be familiar. It was called, I Won't Back Down. Like I said, I remember it vividly. And I remember praying for the first time. And it went this way. God, I don't think you're real. But even if you are, I don't need you. And I really felt like I didn't. At that time, I had everything that I thought I needed to have a fulfilling life. And over the course of the next several months, my life got shaken up again and again. Now, the things that a 17-year-old, at least 17-year-old me, thought I needed for a fulfilling life, those things being taken or shaken up or not the same as they used to be, Upon reflection, the changes that happened were not the end of the world, but in that moment, it certainly felt that way to me. Then, not long after that, as though he'd been trying to get my attention, I met Jesus for the first time, and everything changed. We're in this series called Doing What Jesus Does. 
And we're going through the Gospel of Mark because Mark is a gospel full of Jesus doing things. Story after story after story shows Jesus acting in one way or another. And it's the perfect gospel for us to look at or go through with the lens of how can we do what Jesus does. Now we're talking about evangelism today. And you might be wondering about that because two weeks ago, Pastor Ben preached a wonderful sermon on evangelism. And do we really need two of them? I think the answer is yes. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One, it's not something we talk about enough. Two, for most of us, I think this is true, it's not something we do enough. And three, if we're going to be doing what Jesus does, his entire ministry through the Gospel of Mark is proclaiming the kingdom. His actions, his words are all about sharing the faith. So if we're going to be doing what he does, a heavy emphasis on how, how we can do that ourselves makes a lot of sense. So the passage this morning, which Emily read, had two stories. And I feel like both of them are helpful in our practice or in our commitment to sharing our faith. In the first story, we get a recounting of what happens when Jesus comes to church. It's the Sabbath, and he finds himself in a synagogue in Capernaum. Now, that's somewhere where Jesus spends a great deal of time during his ministry. It's kind of like a, a home base. We have a map here. Now, I'm not sure how clearly you can see it, but you can see Cana kind of in the center on the bottom half of Galilee. And then if you head over to the Sea of Galilee and start to go up around it, you notice Capernaum near the top. That became Jesus' sort of home base for his ministry, for a good deal of his ministry. And that's where this story today happens, the first of the stories today. Now, Capernaum was not known as a place of, of great faith. In fact, it had a reputation of not being a place where people took the Jewish faith very seriously. But synagogues during this time were also sort of like community centers. And so nearly everyone went every week, regardless of how committed they were to the reason they were going. Now, synagogues at this time, they're usually led by lay leadership, just people in the community who felt like they, they had studied more than others, and so they were prepared to read and share their thoughts about the faith. But when a rabbi was in town, the lay leader would sit down and the rabbi would take over the teaching. And Jesus coming to town means that Jesus is going to be teaching at church. I think about what that would be like to come into church and have Jesus stand up and share a sermon. Now, they didn't have pews. Things were a little different for them. They probably sat on mats on the floor. And there wasn't really a, an expectation of how long church would take. So there's no telling how long Jesus was preaching. It may have been for just a very long time. But I have the feeling he was the kind of preacher that could just go on and on. And your, your attention would just be captured. Could you imagine being at church and hearing Jesus preach one Sunday, Saturday in this case? And then, 
while he's teaching, a man who's possessed by a demon begins to shout. And he says, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are. Now, a few things. You know there's a problem in a synagogue or a church when a person with a demon can be at worship and no one knows any difference until Jesus shows up to preach. There's no indication that this was a new condition. This demon-possessed man likely had come to church every Saturday, synagogue every Saturday, and worshipped or sang along or sat along with the rest of the body. There's something wrong when a person who has another spirit in them can be present and no one knows the difference. And then Jesus preaches and it shows up. And then Jesus does something curious. He tells the demon to be quiet. The demon's trying to tell everyone who Jesus is. He says, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus says, be quiet, and then pulls the demon out of him. And the whole story is a little weird. Demon possession stories are always a little weird. But especially this end part where Jesus says, or where Jesus does not want the demon telling other people who he is. I want you to hold on to that. Why would Jesus want to stop the demon? from sharing who Jesus is. I want you to hold on to that, because we're going to come back to that in a few minutes. And then, after he's done teaching, after the demon incident is over, Jesus leaves with his apostles. And they go to Peter's house. Now, you see this map again. If you continue around the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum, you see Bethsaida. And that's where Peter lived. Now, that may look like a long walk to us. It's not. It's not a very long walk. It's a few miles. So they go there. And once they're inside, we learn a few things. We learn that Simon Peter's mother-in-law lives with him. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, my goodness. Some of you may not want to sign up for that. I don't know. I can't speak to your situation. But... What I can say is that at this time, it was very common for elderly parents to live with their children. It was very common for children to be taking care of sometimes all four, both of his parents and both of her parents. That may sound odd to us, but that's how it was. So the first thing that happens when they, when they get there is they tell Jesus that she's sick. Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And then he immediately goes and heals her. There's something incredible about who Jesus is, that when he sees a need, his first instinct is to go and to heal. And then once she's healed, she starts to serve. And this is interesting because it's against the rules for a woman to be taking care of the table where a rabbi is sitting. A rabbi was supposed to be very careful not to be too close to a woman who was not his wife, right? And so this is not something she was supposed to do, but Jesus understood that this was an act of worship. It was an act of uh, humble service. And so he allows her to do this. Then evening comes. Now that means the Sabbath is over. 
You see, in, in, in this place, in this time, the day started with evening and ended with evening. And so here when evening comes, it's no longer Saturday. Now it's Sunday. And this interesting thing happens. All these people start to crowd around the house to see Jesus. Some word has gotten out. Not just that there's a rabbi in town, but that there's something special about this rabbi. They bring people to him. And it struck me as I was preparing, this is really, in a lot of ways, the very first Sunday service. It's Sunday, and people are coming around to see, to hear, to talk about Jesus. That's a wonderful thing. But they start to bring all their sick to him. And that might, that might surprise us that something like that, that word can spread. But I want to assure you that it can. When I spent that summer in Ghana, and we went around and we did medical clinics. We had we, villages that were miles away from each other. But the fact that we were there to do a medical clinic, the word spread. And we would get people from all over coming, hoping that we could cure or heal all kinds of things. In a small community or in a small area of communities, word that someone can heal spreads quickly. And almost everybody knows someone who needs it. So they start, to, they start to crowd around. And Jesus does what Jesus does. He's driving demons out of people. He's healing diseases and illnesses, but he's also driving demons out of people. But before they leave, as they want to shout about who he is, again, just like before, he won't let them. Jesus won't let them tell people who he is. Now, I want to talk about why I think that is. You see, at the end of the first story, where Jesus is preaching at the synagogue, at the end of that story, the people, they go and they spread the word throughout Galilee of who Jesus is. Now, a lot of times we think of Galilee, can we go back to the map? We think of Galilee as a city. But Galilee is an area, it's a region, and all these are towns or communities inside of Galilee. And so the word spreading means that people were leaving their hometown and telling other people about who Jesus was. Word was spreading fast. They wanted everyone to know. Now, a demon wanted to be the first one to tell everyone who Jesus was. And he wouldn't allow it. He wanted the people who'd heard his message to spread the word about him, not an enemy. In the Gospel of Mark, every single time a demon wants to tell people who Jesus is, he forbids it. Every time throughout the Gospel, he makes demons be quiet unless they're alone. He won't let them be the ones to share who he is. He forbids it. And I think it's because he does not want people to hear about him from an enemy, but from one of his people. I remember when I'm 17 and, and unchurched, I had ideas about what Christianity was. And they came from a few places. I had gone to vacation Bible school in kindergarten. 
I remember little pieces of it, and I'd been to a preschool at a church, and so there was a Bible verse that stayed on my mother's freezer that I was supposed to memorize from preschool for years and years. Outside of that, everything about the Christian faith that I'd heard, I'd picked up from sources we would not want a person to be learning about the faith from. I did not have a clear picture, and I certainly did not have a generous one. I thought, and I thought there was good reason to think that Christian faith was just something that weak people needed to deal with the fear of death. I didn't realize that there was anything more to it than the promise that when you die, you're not done. I thought that that was it. I thought that's what Christianity was. If you'd have asked me why Jesus had to die, I wouldn't have known. If you'd have asked me what it meant that he came back, I wouldn't have known. I remember learning about what Easter Sunday was for. I remember learning what Good Friday meant in my late teens and early 20s as I was encountering the faith for the first time. I just knew so little except I'd heard that it just wasn't the thing that smart people or strong people needed to worry about. You see, instead of one of God's people sharing with me about who Jesus was or what the faith was, I'd heard from sources not friendly to the faith, and I'd taken them in. And I am convinced that what we have here is Jesus showing us that he does not want to allow us to let sources or people or spirits that do not belong to him to be the ones to share who he is. He wants that to be our job. And I remember when Dave Poole invited me to church for the first time, I thought I knew what I was going to experience. I was three weeks shy of turning 18, or a few more than three weeks shy of turning 18. And I went because a friend had asked me to because one of my karate students had asked me to. And my whole world was turned upside down because somebody for the first time had invited me to church. Let's talk about evangelism, everyone's favorite subject. As Pastor Ben said last week, one of the most important parts or ways that you can evangelize, that you can proclaim the kingdom, that you can share Jesus with someone else, is to know your story, your Jesus story. See, my story starts really at 17 and 18 years old as I encountered faith for the first time. Some of you have stories like that. Later in life, you encountered Christ, or you you encountered him when you were young and walked away and then came back. For some of you, your stories are different. For some of you, you do not remember a time when you didn't come to church on a regular basis. You have belonged to Jesus for as long as you've been able to know whether or not you belong to the Lord. Now, one of the things that can happen is we can start to think poorly of our story for one reason or another. And it's people who have belonged to the Lord for for most of their lives or all of their lives that sometimes feel like their story doesn't matter. And that's, that's just so strange to me. 
I remember hearing Lisa's story as we started dating and hearing about her faith and how it developed when she was just so very young. And I remember thinking about how wonderful it was that she spent so little time away from the Lord. It's never good to have more time away from the Lord. A story's not better or more encouraging because it has a long time before a person comes to know the Lord. The Lord makes every single story better. The best testimonies, I think, the ones that encourage me most, are the ones where I hear about a person who's grown up in a family of faith that has known Jesus since they can remember and still know him today. Because you see, your story doesn't just have to be about when you came to know him for the first time. That's important. But if your faith is alive, then he's still at work in you today. What difference does your relationship with Jesus make in your life now? That's your Jesus story. If you don't know how to tell the story about you coming to the Lord, you can talk about what it means for you to belong to him today. What's he working on inside of you? What are you wrestling with? What are you trying to be better about? What are you trying to let go of? And how's he, how is the spirit working that in you? That's an amazing story. And the thing of it is, we live in a time and a culture and a place where people love to hear stories. Because you see, your story isn't preaching at someone. It's not telling them what they need to do, because it may surprise you to hear this. People don't actually like it when people tell them what they're supposed to be doing with their lives. People don't like it if you tell them what they're supposed to believe. But people love to know what you believe. And so, knowing your Jesus story and being prepared to share it, if you can, in a few moments, not the whole thing. You could probably, if you thought about it a long time, come up with a very long version of your story. And that's wonderful. That's great. I would love to hear it sometime. But being able to share it briefly. Because most of the time, when you have an opportunity to share your faith, it will be brief. So the first step and being ready to share your faith is to know your Jesus story. To not be ashamed of it, to not, be, not feel like it's inferior, but to see how the Lord is at work and has been at work in your life and to be ready to share it. Two, I think it's good to ask yourself the question, what has Jesus healed you of? What has Jesus healed you of? In the stories today, people were healed of illnesses and disease and demonic oppression. Now, maybe you have a story like that, and that's amazing. But maybe you don't. The question you can ask is, what difference has Jesus made in your life? If you struggle with that, if you've known him since you were so young, you can't remember what life was like before him, you can ask the question, what is Jesus healing you of? And I hope you know that. Maybe you're not a real self-reflective person. Maybe you're not really aware of what kind of struggles you have in your heart that the Lord is currently working on. If that's true, 
please spend some time today Go to him and ask, Lord, help me to see where I need to grow and help me to see how you're making me grow. Because that, that's a powerful part of a testimony. When you're willing to admit that you're not perfect and here's how the Lord is helping you. People will remember. People will be moved. And if you're willing to share the odds are that that person is much more likely to be willing to share. Whether you're talking to a believer and sharing an encouraging story of the Lord at work, or you're talking to someone who doesn't know the Lord, you sharing that part of your story, your struggles, and the Lord's help is powerful and important. And then third, remember this. Jesus wants people to hear about him from you. Jesus wants people to hear about him from you. I think a lot of us hope that the way people come to Christ, or will come to Christ, is one of two ways. Either that he's just going to put it right in their brains. They're going to just wake up one day and realize, I need Jesus and seek out a church. And let me tell you, that happens. I've been at Calvary for 10 years now. I can tell you there are stories where that does happen. And when it does, that's amazing. Praise God. The other way I think most of us hope that a person will come to faith is that someone else will share it with them. Not us. Someone else. And the reason we hope that is because we're just so concerned or anxious or afraid to share. And I feel that. I hear you. I'm a pastor, and there's times that I sit and I see an opportunity, or I think maybe this is an opportunity to share my faith, and I question myself right out of it because I'm afraid I'm going to harm my relationship with this person, or I'm afraid that I'm going to make things awkward and they're not going to want to come and talk to me, or I'm just unsure that this is the right time. And it's easy to convince myself that my own hesitation is the Lord telling me to hesitate. Usually afterwards I realize, no, that was just me being afraid. It's hard. But Jesus wants people to hear about him from those who know him. His favorite way to work is through us. His favorite way to work is through us. Now, all of us have different gifts, and this is something that's important about the sharing of faith, is that not every person needs to be an expert at sharing their faith with people. You can be involved in bringing someone into the faith in a different capacity. Some of you take people out to lunch, or you're powerful prayer warriors, or you connect with them once they come to church, and that feels safer for you. And we all have different roles, and if those are your gifts, Lean into them. But none of us get off the hook. We all need to be ready to share our faith. And hear me, we're not all going to be amazing and comfortable at it. I remember I would go around with Pastor Ken, who was truly gifted with this. We would walk into a restaurant for lunch, and I swear, by the time we left... Every person eating there, he knew where they went to church, when they were baptized, and what was going on in their faith. 
He was just gifted at it, a gifted evangelist. That's not true for many of us, and that's okay. We don't have to be, because the thing of it is it doesn't rely on us. We're not the ones who are saving anybody. That belongs to the Lord. He just wants us to be faithful and willing and ready. He wants us to be faithful to share when he prompts us to, willing to do it when he asks us, and ready because we've prepared ourselves to do so. So two very quick applications for this week. One, I want to challenge you, each and every person here, if you know the Lord, find someone to tell your story to this week. Not the whole thing, but in part. You can start very simply. It can be at your dinner table with people that you are completely comfortable with. But understand, even if they already know your story, it's important to be able to practice sharing it. Like with our our practice of sharing meals last year, we had to start with family, and then friends, and then Calvary people, and then at the end of the year, once we'd practiced up good, we encouraged you to invite acquaintances over. Share your story in the same way. Go from comfortable to uncomfortable. But that's my challenge to you this week at least one person, share your story with them. And then as a church, I have an application for us. We're going to have a meal in a little bit. And you're going to be sitting at a table eating with each other. And you're going to be talking. And then there's going to be that moment where everyone's quiet for just a second. And I want this to be your thought. I should ask someone to share their story. And I want to start there. I want you to ask someone else because it's more likely to happen if I don't challenge you to lead with your story, right? You're allowed to ask someone for their story. But let's make that conversation around the meal today. Now, I'm not going to go around and check, right? I'm not going to be coming to your table and listening for who's sharing their testimony then. And I'm not going to think less of you if you get nervous or for whatever reason it doesn't happen. But I want to encourage you today a little bit as we sit around a table to ask someone, tell me about how you came to know the Lord or about what he's doing in your life now. And just see what happens. See how you learn about one another. See how getting a little bit of practice can be a blessing and a benefit. I think back to that day 20 years ago. Even though my friend never could have known the impact her sharing her story had, like I said, I thought it was silly. It was the first part of my testimony. It was the moment God used to begin getting my attention. We may never know what fruit comes from being willing to step out in faith and courageously share. But we can trust in this. We serve a God who loves us, who wants to use us to share his story, his gospel, with other people. And if we will faithfully obey, he will bring fruit when we courageously step forward and say, this is who Jesus is to me. Pray with me.
Father God, we come before you thankful for blessings. We love you and we praise you. And we ask, Lord, for you to be with us. We pray that you would give us discernment this week to see a time and an opportunity to share our faith with someone. And we pray that you would give us courage, Lord, to be able to do so, to not feel like we have to have an answer to every question. Give us courage to be able to say, I don't know if a person does ask us a question, and we don't know. But Lord, give us courage in that moment when anxiety pops up or hesitation happens, and we're not sure if we're the right person to be speaking for Jesus. Help us to remember, Lord, you want to share your story, your gospel, through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.